I remember the night as if it was just yesterday. It was around midnight and quiet in the city, quiet within the city walls. The river on the east side of the river flowed gently downstream. I walked through the merchant neighborhood, passed by the artisan section of town, and finally walked by the wealthy homes of the priests in the city of Ur, a metropolis of 360,000 people. My plan, I'm sorry to say, was to do damage to the idols in the temple, our temple. It is the temple of Ur-Nana, the so-called god of the moon and wisdom. He is worshipped in the northern city of Haran as well. People believe that Ur-Nana is the source of fertility and prosperity. Really? So we had to worship him and go to the festivals to have him bless us. We had to do for him or else he wouldn't do for us. Even my father and other family members fell in line to worship this God and the gods there. I believed in all the many gods of my area when I was young, but now I was angry. I was angry with all of them. And the bad news was I was caught again. I have been persecuted for my actions against Urnana and the other gods in the city. I was even threatened by the king himself for what he called sacrilege to the gods. That night's events just increased my hostility. I was angry. Some years passed after that night, and something happened that turned my whole life around. God Most High, that's what I call him, God Most High appeared to me. I knew he was the real thing. He was deity himself, holy, powerful, genuine. What's more, incredibly more was, he wanted to be my friend. A God who wanted to be my friend. The gods I was familiar with were never like that. And what's more, the God Most High told me that if I believed what he said, believed what he said, he would consider me righteous in his sight pure, holy in his sight, by believing, only believing. I didn't have to earn his favor by what I did. Belief in him alone gave it to me. We're continuing our series on what has been called casket. Um, and today's we will be working on Abraham. Creation, Dick covered that last week. Abraham is this week. The other words are Sinai, kings, exile, and temple, and they will come in the following weeks. I think you'll enjoy what you hear. Now, I've chosen a portion in Hebrews about Abraham. Now, Abraham's way back in Genesis, and there are quite a few chapters about this man. But this section, which was read so beautifully to us, covers some of the highlights of his life. And he was an incredible man. 
I just sat down the other Saturday morning and just read through the life of Abraham. From his youthful days all the way through until his death. He was a hero. He was brave. He was a failure. He was foolish. He was the friend of God. And God worked with him and loved him. That friendship was so incredible. God even said on one occasion, can I hide from my friend what I'm about to do? That was the kind of relationship he had. So we're going to look at the story of Abraham as recorded in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And we'll look at that first sec section, verses 8 to 11. Now, forgive me, I have a cold. I'm sure none of you have colds. You'll know what that feeling is like. <clears throat> Check out verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as, an, as, an, at his, as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. First of all, Abraham was called out of a very bad environment, an environment of idolatry, false gods, and religion. Joshua tells us, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, long ago your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. It was commonplace. It was in the family. God called Abraham, called him to go to a place that he would tell him of and that he would lead him there. At first, it seems his father initiated a trip to Haran. And as we found out, Haran was also a place where the moon god was worshipped and there were other false idols. Stephen, in speaking to the Sanhedrin, when he was on trial, says, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land that I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. So God allowed him to stop along the way. He allowed it, but he really wanted to lead him to Canaan, what has been called the promised land. Now, here's something that's pretty incredible and makes me admire Abraham all the more. Abraham was willing to go, though he didn't know his destination. Going, not knowing. God wanted him to follow and not ask any questions. We all ask questions. Someone wants to do a favor for us, and we say, what's in it for you? We never keep our mouth shut. Abraham learned to just say, okay, that's my friend. It's all right. I'll do it. God's promise, you see, in getting him to Canaan was to bring about a whole sequence of events that would even lead to the baby born in Bethlehem. Genesis 17.8 says, The whole land of Canaan I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants, and I will be your and their God. 
I like that. God Most High wants to be my God. God Most High wants to be my friend. That's like nothing, no religion, no thought that I know. So there's a principle for us as Christians. The Christian life involves the Lord's leading and our obedience. Basic principle. You raise your hand, you accept Christ in the privacy of your own room, you believe he died for you, you accept him, you enter into the Christian life. You begin what we call around here the continuing story. But it involves the Lord's leading and our obedience. Chuck Swindoll writes in his biography of Abraham, the Lord also wants us to trust in his power and goodness, knowing he will always act in our best interests. Yeah, but maybe, um, maybe that's not my best interest. No, he will. He will. Remember what happened to the children of Israel after they left Egypt and as they wandered in the land? The whole thing with the pillar of cloud above them. The pillar of cloud was really God's leading of them. You look up, there's the cloud. You know God's there. Numbers 9, 17 to 19 says, Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. The Christian life involves the Lord's leading and our obedience. I can think of so many times that the Lord has led and I said no. Sorry to say, but I've got to learn what Abraham knew. Going, not knowing, but it's okay because you trust the one who's leading you. Look at verses 9 and 10. By faith he made his home, that's Abraham, in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. First thing I noticed about these verses is Abraham lived as a stranger or non-citizen in Canaan. Abraham told his neighbors when he was about to buy a burial area for his family, he said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. Abraham never felt that he belonged in Canaan. He didn't. I'm a stranger. I'm an alien. I'm a foreigner. He had no permanent residence in Canaan. He lived in tents. Oh, yeah, but they were probably nice tents. Well, yeah, maybe. But when he lived back in Ur, I'm sure he had a beautiful home. And God called him away from that. And interestingly, he puts him in an area where he's a stranger and an alien, and he's living in tents. 
Two instances. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. So Abraham moved his tents and went to live near the great tree, uh, trees of Mamre at Hebron. Tents, tents. Still the promise. Still the goodness of God. He's leading him. He's going through all of this stuff. The promise is there, though. The blessing is there from his friend. Abraham's descendants would receive God's promises. The Lord mentioned these promises to Abraham's grandson, Jacob. In Genesis 28, 13, it says, There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. The promise is there for Abraham and his descendants. And the cool part here is the back end of that two verses. He anticipated the city God designed and built for his followers. You realize that God designed and built a city? The prophet in Isaiah 14, 32 says, The Lord has established Zion, and in her his afflicted people will find refuge. So that brings us fast forward to today. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're on that continuing story road, there's a future for us. The principle here is the Christian life looks more to the future than to the present. The Christian life looks more to the future than to the present. When do I think about the future? When my present is miserable. People get sick. Oh, I can't wait. Till I'm in heaven, that's when I'll feel better. Listen to Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Set your heart on things above. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, that doesn't mean you can't enjoy what God blesses you with and gives you here. But if your whole life is focused on that next promotion, a bigger house, a better car, staying youthful, whatever it might happen to be, think about the Lord. I like to think sometimes of those passages in Ezekiel and in Revelation where it's talking about looking toward Glory, you're seeing a little glimpse of what it's like in the throne room of God. It's exciting to think about that future. You live your life to please the Lord. You live your life for the promises and blessings he's going to give you. You live your life for the glory you will have one of these days in the new heaven and the new earth. Very cool. Look at verses 11 and 12. Another story. And by faith, even Sarah who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, 
came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as countless as the sand on the seashore. What an incredible story. God promised, and God promised, and God promised, and Abraham's going, uh, nothing's happening. We're just getting older, more feeble. My body's just about dead. And physically, Sarah can't have a child. It's fun just to look at the reaction to both of these people before their faith kind of took over. God speaking. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. He's talking to Abraham. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. And Abraham responded in great faith. He fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Sarah, maybe, maybe. The Lord. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah responded in great faith. Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? But God bolstered their faith over time. And sometimes we're that way. It's like we have to be hit several times until we finally get it. God's on our side. He's our friend. The descendants would be as numerous as the stars or grains of sand. Ever go to the beach in the summer and sit down and say, you know what? I'm going to count all of these grains of sand. They would carry you off. Genesis 22:17 says, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. You know, the Lord did big things for Abraham and Sarah. Incredible things in his time, in his way, but incredible things. There was a time when Sarah initiated a plan that Abraham, and it was accepted in the culture of the day, he could have a child by his maid, and he did. But it was the wrong way of going about it, and that child ended up causing a lot of grief to everyone. Principle number three. The Christian life lives and breathes the impossible through our God. The Christian life lives and breathes the impossible through our God. We are so hesitant about claiming things from the Lord. And I don't mean, Lord, I'd really like a beautiful Mercedes parked outside when I go out to get my car. It's just asking for the souls of people to find the Lord. Asking for someone whose help is needed. Asking for someone who's ill. Asking for someone who is financially having a difficult time. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, one of my favorite set of verses. 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Did you get that? Immeasurably more. You can't even measure how much more he's going to give you. And it's more than we can ask. I can ask a lot. I could come up with a great laundry list. We go through the process in the family of picking out a list of Christmas gifts we want. Boy, that's a lot of fun. I can ask a lot. But it's more than I can ask and more than I could even imagine. And maybe I can imagine some things. The Christian life lives and breathes the impossible through our God. And quickly on, verses 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. See, there's a problem. I know you're going to find this difficult to understand. But a lot of the time, you don't understand why God's doing what he's doing. I don't. There's also a little bit of ego in it, because I think I know the right thing. And perhaps he missed it. First of all, Abraham accepted God's astounding request to sacrifice his promised son, Isaac. I would have gone on for half the day arguing, somebody else. First of all, I don't want to do it. It's my son. But he accepted. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, Abraham said, here I am. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. He's going to lead him, but for a crazy reason. And Abraham accepted this test from his God. Abraham also believed that the Lord would solve the unsolvable, even bringing Isaac back to life. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, the boy says. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. He trusted that God would do the right thing. His question was, God, I won't do it. I will resist it. It's wrong. Instead, it was, yes, I'll do it, Lord. Somehow you'll figure it out. But I know you love me and it's okay. Principle number four, the last one. The Christian life consists of startling tests and heavenly rescues. Tests. 
used to hate that word in school. Especially if it was a Friday and I knew the weekend was coming and someone said, because he never announced the test, we're going to do a pop quiz today. And you knew you hadn't studied or you knew you weren't into it. Tests. Interesting about tests for us as believers. Swindoll writes, he doesn't put people to a test to see how well their faith responds under fire. He prepares tests of faith to show us what he has made of us lately. Whether we pass or fail, we learn about ourselves. We learn where we need improvement or we discover how spiritually mature we have become. God tests us as believers. But it's almost like the self-test. You get to look at it. Oops. Wow, I'm weak here, weak there. Moses is speaking. Moses is speaking in Deuteronomy 8, 2, and 3. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Tests, part of our Christian lives. But it's okay. It's the friend who's doing the testing. God Most High, the one who has your best interests at heart. So in terms of a challenge, what have we learned from Abraham about his faith? Abraham saw two religions. Oh, no, no, you're wrong. He had a lot of gods in addition to that main moon god. Yeah, but he saw only two. He put all of those gods together and then set apart God Most High. Two religions in the world. The gods of Ur demanded he earn their acceptance. Sacrifices, festivals, worship. While the God Most High accepted Abraham simply when he believed in him. It was that easy. The gods of Ur didn't share a relationship with Abraham either. But God Most High wanted to be their friend, his friend. It's easy for us today to sit here and say, oh, well, I'm a part of this worship. I'm a part of this religion. I'm a part of that belief system. We need to think about what God's standard is, and God's standard is believe. Listen to what James writes about Abraham. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Want to be God's friend today? Want to have your sins forgiven? Oh, don't talk to me about sins. I've been paying in blood over the years for those sins. Pay no more. I invite you to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your heart as your Savior. See, he died on the cross, okay? He died on the cross to take all of our sin, mine, yours, right there on him. And God punished him 
for my sin. Incredible. Why? So I could walk free and get the righteousness simply by believing in him. Here's a cool couple of verses. Titus 3, 4, and 5. And when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Get this. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. That's my friend. Not like the gods of Ur. Not like the moon god. You do for me, I'll do something for you. Which was a lie anyway. How wonderful to have that freedom. Then what you do is you serve God. You honor him. That becomes the fruit that comes out of this friendship you have with your God. You serve not because you have to. You serve because you love him and you want to. Not, by, not because of righteous things which we had done, but because of his mercy he saved us. What else did we learn? We learned about living the Christian life. Just to recap, it involves the Lord's leading and our obedience. Don't be stubborn. Go. You read Jonah. And he is the disgruntled prophet. And he was called to go, and he wouldn't go. Only when God beat him up a little bit did he go. Don't let God beat you up. It looks more to the future of this Christian life of ours than to the present. Make sure your focus is right. Well, I need to spend a lot of time working. I need to really do a lot of things. I need to, to get this done and so forth. Well, I miss a few meetings. And, you know, I, I really have to keep up on what I'm reading in the paper. I read the Wall Street Journal, and, I mean, it's important to my life and my business. I don't really have that much time to read God's Word. The focus is on the present, not the future. You're making a mistake. Our Christian life lives and breathes the impossible through our God. Look to him. Say, Lord, I really would like to see my uncle saved. I'd like to see him come to the Lord. Lord, I'd really like you to open a, a ministry just for me. I'd like to begin to disciple some people. I'd like to do some things like that. Ask. And he'll help you do the impossible. And lastly, the Christian life consists of startling tests and heavenly rescues. Hey, you're going to be tested this week. You mean God just likes to put me under the microscope and, you know, make it hard on me? No, no, no. Remember, you know who he is. And he's your friend. And he's doing it to reveal where you are in the scale of your Christian growth. And he will help you do that. So for someone who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, your friend welcomes you. Accept Jesus Christ. Believe in him that he died on the cross for you. For Christians, we have our work cut out for us. But we can follow the pattern that we got through Abraham. Let's close our time in prayer. Dear Father, we praise you for 
the opportunity to come and, and sing these songs and pray together and see one another and greet one another in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, too, for the opportunity of being able to open your word and the power of it. Father, we're, we're told in Scripture that the apostles spent a lot of time reminding the people of the things that they knew already, and that's because we forget so easily. We pray, Father, that you would take these things today and keep them in our hearts and remind us to do them as Christians. And if there's someone here or several here who do not know Jesus Christ, may they come speak to Pastor Dick, myself, one of the elders, and just be sure that they're with their heavenly friend, not with the false gods of earth. Bless us in the rest of the service and throughout this day, Father. We thank you for the special speaker uh, at 1115. We pray that you would continue to bless their ministry. In Christ's name, amen.